in. Welcome to another episode of Unlearn, Relearn podcast with Megan and Wilson. Hello, hello, friends. What's up? What's up? You know, it's just another week of this crazy world. I know. So we're recording this on the last day of Black History Month, but don't worry, friends, we'll still be sharing some gems throughout the rest of this year and yes. forever. Black History um, Year, it should be called. Um, and then when you're hearing this, it's going to be March. It's going to be March 2nd. So it's, yes. it's wild. Yes. It's wild. We're, we're in March. We're moving. We're moving. This, this year is moving right on by. Um, right? That was a particularly interesting and um, uh, intriguing episode that we did our Black History Month episode. I learned a lot. It's interesting yeah. how when we prepare for these shows, and I know we've talked about this offline, we may have talked about this while we were recording, how much we learn in the prep yeah. and how much we thought we knew yeah. about particular However much we topics. thought we knew, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't. There's always more to learn. There's Absolutely. always more to know. Which is which just means that, you know, as you, as you move through your your journey in this in this on this path of social justice and and uh just know it's always more for you to know it's always more to learn it's always more history for you to pick up absolutely Um, and and this this uh this month we're we're kind of the theme is going to be when capitalism meets Mm. and this episode kind of piggybacking off of what you just said wilson is is one that we have done an episode on on this on this topic but it's one that we could probably do at least 10 more. Yeah, we could so, do a series. Yeah, Because yeah. just in the prep conversations, we realized that there's probably some stuff when it comes to uh, uh, climate change and climate crisis that we left out. <laughs> We're not going to get to some of the things that could be not necessarily just in, in climate change, but in, you know, the whole environmental impact, environmental Absolutely. racism. What makes climate change? Absolutely. What are the implications of how it how it becomes, what it ends up being that affects people, and then the ways in which it affects people, and how it disproportionately affects people. Mm-hmm. So there's so many things to cover. Um, yeah, we're so going to cover climate when capitalism meets, meets climate, climate change. issues, right? And we're going to talk about. It from the aspects of once the disaster happens, yeah. but then we could have an entire episode about what leads up to. We'll probably have a few more episodes. <laughs> the on... disaster as bad as it yeah. ends up being, you know, it's one thing to have a snowstorm or a hurricane. It's another thing for it to be devastating, and then it's another thing for it to hurt people and harm people in a way that is even more devastating than the storm itself. Right. So we'll get into all of that. We'll we'll try to give it as much as we can for this hour and then we'll probably even revisit it a few months from now a few episodes from now and talk about a different aspect of it uh, the, the interesting thing about a lot of the topics that we do is that they can be tackled from so many different angles totally. and there's so much more you can learn about that topic by just revisiting it in a few and they all episodes. intersect in 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 with each other and that's a whole topic in yeah. itself so so Absolutely. let's get into our highlights of the week these are Stories that we found that we kind of wanted to touch on. And I, my highlight of the week, it comes out of the uh, city of Portland. 
and you may have heard about this, it's about the police officers that were guarding dumpsters of thrown out food in Portland. So this happened on February 18th, the story comes from February 18th, 2021, and the headline from the Oregon Live says, Portland police officers guarding Fred Meyer dumpsters as residents seek discarded food. So workers are roughly a dozen uh, Portland police officers faced off with a small group at a Northeast Portland Fred Meyer on Tuesday after people tried to take food that had been thrown away. Workers at the Hollywood West Fred Meyer threw away thousands of perishable items because the store, like many other others, had lost power in an outage brought on by the region's winter storm. So basically what happened was there was there's winter storms happening in Portland, Oregon. A lot of people in this part of the town or part of the city lost their power. And then this restaurant or this store decided to throw a lot of the non the perishable stuff out because according to their standards it it was either going bad or about to go bad or had already gone bad um once they threw the stuff out they put it i think it in and they filled up about two dumpsters worth of food that they had thrown away people in the surrounding neighborhood started to see this they went up and they said hey you know if you're throwing the food away can we look through it and if we see something we like can we take it so there were a few people who did that once that number and then the, the, they decided the restaurant made the decision that, oh, we don't want you to take this food because it's bad. We don't want people to get sick. So the store employees start to guard the dumpsters and then eventually they called the cops and then the cops came and then they guarded the dumpsters. Um, the interesting thing about this story is that it doesn't make it, it it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense like something doesn't sit right something doesn't sit right with me because there's a there's a there's a scene that most people have seen in their lives where you would be okay with a houseless or a homeless person rummaging through a dumpster dumpster diving and picking up food and for some reason we think as a society that that's okay but if a regular average person who lives in a house decides to do the same thing, we're all of a sudden concerned for their health. We're concerned that they might get sick and that they might have a foodborne illness. So you have to make up your mind. There's so many angles to this, right? There's that angle, which is, um, you know, just how we view our human, how we view humanity when it comes to our society, right? Then there's the, yes. then there's also, and this is something that we kind of spoke about and, and ties into our theme, which is where it intersects with, I think you said it earlier, you said it best earlier, the intersect of capitalism and socialism here mm-hmm. that, that's at play, um, which is really interesting. It's like, so we want to be capitalist, so we want to have, then we say some things that are more socialist, but even though, but even though we hate that, that's not loud. Oh my God, taboo. Um, but, (laughs) but who are you to tell someone, but it also like in a capitalist society, you should not tell me or should not regulate whether or not I want to go grab food out of a trash can. But here's the thing. Isn't that your right as a, in a, in a capitalist free society, if you want to go to a trash can, pull food out of it and take it home and eat it, that's your freedom supposedly. But here's the thing. 
if something happens because somebody got sick from that food, they could then sue that restaurant. So that restaurant does not give a shit if anybody gets sick. They're trying to make sure that they don't get in trouble. They just want to avoid having to pay someone money for some silly thing. That's literally it. It's it's again, it's capitalism. It's the it's the company looking out for itself. They don't they don't like what they should be doing. Again, I feel this way about all restaurants. Restaurants are big fucking wasteful fucking places. Oh my God. Like they should just be donating <laughs> the food, the food they that they're away. just going to throw away. They should just be donating it. They yeah. truly should be donating it. Like half of that food in that dumpster, we all know is not, there's nothing wrong with it. Yes. You're just, you, there's something wrong with it because it's in the dumpster. Because yeah, ideally we don't want to eat food from a fucking dumpster. Yeah. But also, <laughs> like you said, if you're, if you're houseless, like that might be the best thing that you can get, yes. you know? And it's like, that's a really fucked up situation but that also, we have going on. And then, so you have all these different angles from from this story of like, where capitalism meets the fucked upness of this whole story. And then you put that against the backdrop of the fact that like, this was during a snowstorm. So a lot right. of people in this city lost power. A lot of people, and according to this story, their perishable food had already spoiled, had already right. went bad because they don't have freezer capacity. And they either or, can't get to the store or the stores. I we, we heard so the many stores went out. Yeah, powers in the stores went out, or they or people just got everything. Or people got everything. But if you're in a snowstorm, your power goes out, your food goes bad. That place is throwing away food. Maybe you go over there and see what hasn't hit the expiration date. You take it home and you eat it. Right. But then the store says, I don't want, I'm looking out for your health. No, you're not. You're absolutely right, Megan. You're not looking out for my health. No. You don't give a shit about my health. Absolutely you just not. don't want to get sued. Right. But you threw it in the dumpster. Shouldn't your liability stop once you throw something away? You would think, but, it's but. Not like that, yeah. If, if, if it was just a, let's say if it was a, a grocery bag full of food you threw out. You, no one has a problem. The, the restaurant the public, the police, our own moral compass does not have a problem with a homeless person rummaging through that to find that very same food. You're right. That you if threw a, if you if that was happening and the police were driving by, the likelihood of them stopping to then tell that homeless guy to stop digging or a girl to stop digging through the the trash can, it's slim and none. Slim and slim to none. You're they absolutely wouldn't stop right. At all to stop a homeless You're person right. for doing. If somebody but, if somebody who did not look houseless was digging through the trash they might think of something funny yeah and why is that yeah you're absolutely right so about now that. we have to think about how we classify our people and what would what are we okay with them doing we've become okay with people who look houseless and homeless rummaging through garbage but if i'm wearing a polo and and jeans and a sneakers and a you know and a baseball cap and i look like i have a a house and I have a car. Oh, no, no, no. You can't right. rummage through the garbage. And because... this is kind of an ode to our episode next week, so we won't get too much into it. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you are, I'm sorry, but no, we need to great. protect you from yourself. Yeah. But the homeless person, nah, go ahead. You can dig through the trash as much as you want and get sick right. and eat food that's, you know, past this right. due date. We don't care about you because you're homeless. We've thrown you away. You know, so... That was that was one of the things to me that kind of stuck out 
And the fact not to that, mention the fact that we're paying these cops to fucking sit at a trash can. Yeah. So fuck yeah, Let's that. just get, let's just. But that's just like a whole nother just, topic. Yeah. So we won't get into that. <laughs> just think about cops guarding dumpsters with Ridiculous. batons. You know, that's Ridiculous. just unreal. But that's my story. Um, obviously, it has so many ways to think about it. There's so many ways you can come at it. I understand. when I, when I Once I did a, a little bit of research, I understood both sides. It's still messed up that police officers have to guard food. And then this restaurant was talking about, well, we do donate food to, to, to you know, food shelters and, and food banks and things like that. We do that. Okay, why didn't you do it this time? Well, you know, no real excuse for why they didn't do it this time. Right. And, and there were people there who were trying to get some of that food to take it to food shelters. There were people who were like, I'm with XYZ Shelter. I want to go through this dumpster and pull out all the good food and take it to my shelter because I can feed people in the next couple of nights. They wouldn't even let them do that. Wow. So it was just this whole cluster, you know, clusterfuck yeah. of situations. So that's my story. Um, Megan, what is your um, highlight of the week? So I have a little feel good story. Um, a little feel good. A little feel good. So it's uh, 3D printed homes are building hope for affordable housing in the U.S. So this technology can build cheap climate resilient structures in a fraction of the time of traditional construction. Um, It builds homes faster, cheaper, with less labor, and the structures are more resilient to natural disasters. so this could really, this technology is something that's on the rise. This is something that we definitely want to keep an eye out. Um, I'm really excited to, to continue to watch this story because these are just great solutions for, for homes, for people experiencing homelessness, low-income families. Um, I think the article said even military. So Wait a minute. Is this picture one of the homes? Yeah. Give me one of these. I know, right? I was like, this article okay. is news.trust.org. Um, 3D printed homes build hope for U.S. affordable housing. If you want to go take a look at the picture that they have. Yeah, and the first. This article was on February 15th, and um, the first one of the first people to uh, move in was a homeless man, Tim Shea, out of Austin, Texas. Um, so I know we've had a few stories in regards to a lot of great changes happening in Austin. So Mm -hmm. this is really awesome to see. Um, Mm -hmm. I would love to see this. I know I just recently, um, in one of my highlights, we talked about the tiny homes here in LA. This would be even better. This would be way better. (laughs) So it's awesome that they have created this technology and they're actually using it for good because something... Um, and this is just going to be a little nerdy of me, but um, really into like st- Studio Ghibli movies and a lot of one of the one of the movies they talk about or it's from, you know, earlier times. So they talked a lot about um, planes and how planes are like these beautiful creations and inventions. But every invention at some point, humans turn it to like the negative so mm-hmm. planes are these great inventions that were turned to use for war and mm. so you know it's like all these great inventions are can turn with capitalism 
it's all focused about the money rather than doing the good. So I'm really glad that we have this technology and we're using it to mm -hmm. help people that really need it. Yeah, this is an amazing story. So. And then looking at the picture of the printed homes on the outside, it's like, well, that's just, I mean, who would, I would, I would definitely love to. Yeah, they're really cool day. looking. And then the thing said that that uh, 3D construction market could be worth one and a half billion dollars by 2024. That's not that far. It's only that's less than three years away now. Right. So this could may be some, more than some of the homes that you, people listening right now. You may end up buying a 3D printed home in five or ten years. Absolutely. You know, nothing wrong with that, especially if you're using sustainable materials and. Right. Homes are cheaper to buy and they're more resilient. And I was going to say the biggest thing to me is the fact that they're more resilient to natural disasters, which is what we're going to get into. <laughs> so, so let's yeah. get into it. You so, want to yeah. start us out? That Wilson? is. So now moving into our, our main topic, our main topic is when capitalism meets uh, climate, climate issues, climate change. So first thing we're going to do is we'll define capitalism and then we will quickly define what the climate crisis is so capitalism is an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by the state and the climate crisis is a term describing global warming and climate change and their consequences global warming refers to the long-term warming of the planet global temperatures shows a well-documented rise since the early 20th century and most notably since the late 1970s. Worldwide since 1880, the average surface temperature has risen about one degree uh, Celsius, about two degrees Fahrenheit relative to the mid 20th century baseline, uh, 1951 to 1980. Um, so, uh, and then climate change is a broad general term for all these changes. And it is largely the consequences of the warming described above. It includes everything from increasing incidences of extreme weather events like hurricanes and droughts to more frequent flooding and longer lasting heat waves. Oh man, living in Los Angeles, we know what that's about. It is the accelerated ice melt we're seeing in Greenland, Antarctica, and the Arctic and related rise in global sea, global sea levels. It's worsening pollen season, spreading vector-borne diseases, and much, much more. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's exactly why climate change cannot be separate from social justice. So if you want to learn a little bit more, go back to our last episode about climate change. We really break it down mm -hmm. and kind of get into the basics. In this episode, we're kind of getting more into how capitalism and, and you know, the climate crisis intersect. So they really cannot be separate. Mm -hmm. They are not separate. Um, we need justice from capitalism as we know it, really. And that's kind of what we're going to get into as well. Um, you know, it's one that we created, one that we mutated. It's one that our founding fathers were, did not want us to have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Something that they did not want for us. And it's time, you know, and what we're going to talk about today are all, the, all reasons that we need to create this change and reimagine all of our systems. Yeah, because it, it seems as if and this is like a yearly it's almost like first it was a yearly occurrence for and then it and then now it's just all year 
where now we're seeing that, you know, when, when capitalism is like a moving, let's say capitalism is a moving train and climate change is just that thing that keeps getting in the way and derailing, derailing the train. And there's a big, huge accident and pile up and a lot of people dying. And we're like, oh, no, no, let's just get the train back on the track and keep going. That's the metaphor. Get the train back on the track and keep going. And then another accident happens and another. Now it's like accidents. Instead of accidents happening once a year, they're happening all year now. The train is derailing all the time. We literally just went through a, a, a metaphor of the derailing of the system with what happened in Houston. And we'll talk about that. But we're talking about a system that is based off of profits over people. And then when the system can't even hold up to weather storms and things that are happening, then it's a problem. Then we then we start to see, okay, this isn't going, this isn't happening the way it's supposed to happen, or maybe it is. So one of the articles that I found it says the fight against climate change, the fight against climate change is a fight against capitalism. Um, it, it, capitalism is a system cap, capitalism as a system is highly exploitative for both people and the planet it is driven by a desperate need for profit and accumulation this is the overriding priority companies might greenwash BP changing its logo to the green flower is the most infamous example but we live in a world where the polar ice cap, caps melt then oil companies go in to tap the ground for pre previously unattainable deposits of, deposits of oil. So for these companies, when the ice melts, that's actually good for them because then they can go find more oil. Right. So they have no interest in, in the flooding and the warming of the They're not the worried about the consequences. They'll deal with that later yes. because they're going to make so much money that that they'll be able to get out of it. It's not mm -hmm. a problem to them. So they're not worried about the consequences. They'll deal with that later. They're not thinking about the fact that these consequences are going to affect them and their families and the generations to come. Who gives a shit about that? I'm going to make a million dollars right now. I'm going to make a billion dollars right now. Oh, yeah. That's what's that's what we oh, care yeah. about. That's what we care. And that's about. always the the driving force for everything is 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 money is this is this greed is this idea of capitalism is this as this uh you know american the american dream you know um and that's always when when all we're focused on is how much money we're gonna make and we're not focused on the consequences at all this is what this is this is the results is we mm -hmm. have we're in this serious we're at this point where if you know and scientists have said this over and over and over again. We're, we're getting to the point where it's going to be past the point of no return. And we need to be making the, those changes. And when we're run by people who don't give a fuck about anybody, not even their own families or generations to come, they only care about making money. And money is the driving force. Mm-hmm. First of all, that's just never good. That's just never good. If money is your driving force, you have a problem. Period. Yeah, because you can't you can't make enough money to buy your way out of the consequences of this problem. And and not understanding that money is 
is an energetic exchange and not something that should be driving your life. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's something that you should really reflect on. <laughs> I mean, if you if you say like, you don't care, you know, you're saying, oh well, I, I you know, I'll just move to a different part of the world when when the climate crisis affects the part of the world I'm living in. Wrong. Well, then just get ready because it's going to eventually affect the part of the world. Oh, that you it's gonna to. exactly. You know, you can go build up. Well, shop. first of all, we've already seen that. Just we're having situations in the U.S., but we're not the only ones mm -hmm. in the world that are dealing with shit. So it's not just, okay, well, we'll just live in America until it's fucked and then we're just going to go somewhere else. There's no, nowhere there's else nowhere to else to go because other parts of the country or parts other of parts world, of the world yeah. are having issues as well. But like how how are they handling it? How are they able oh, to do man, it? You know, even, it's just yeah. like it's it's a continuous thing and it's something that like, yeah, not only are we affecting ourselves, we're affecting the world. This is a world issue. Yes, it says um, the importance of capitalism as a major contributor to climate change cannot be ignored. Such linkages between excessive capitalism and environmental problems have led to a rise in demand for radical climate action with movements such as Extinction Rebellion in the UK or support for the Green New Deal in America. And if you think about what the, I think we talked a little bit about what the Green New Deal is. It's supposed to be a, a program in which um, frontline communities are, the ones who are the most affected by the effects of climate change are the ones that are helped first. And that radical climate change legislation that goes into effect that curtails excessive pollution and makes tries to create a profit motive for actually making this planet a much more livable place, stemming the effects, taking care of the people who are the most affected. Because almost every single story that I researched that had anything to do with a with a, um, a, a natural disaster, a natural weather event, seemed it almost invariably moved down to where the people who were the most vulnerable were the ones who were were the people who were already the most vulnerable were the ones who were hurt the most and and that's um a lot of the stories that we're going to talk about have to do with natural disasters and it's the reason why we kind of focus a little more on that is because exactly what Wilson said is that it trickles down and so so quickly are we are we to look at people and say well they should have had insurance and they should have did this and they should have prepared and they should have did this and should have should have should have should have should have but it's like when you actually go down to like why they couldn't have insurance or why they didn't have insurance or why they weren't able to get insurance or you know like why why weren't they able able to prepare was it because they didn't or was it because they were denied or was, or it, was because, it because of the area that they were living in oh was it because or, the area that they were living in the insurance company decided that area if a hurricane happened that area is getting flooded first so if you live in that area your insurance is so expensive that you can't really afford it. That's and my we point. Put, and we put such restrictions in your contract and your insurance policy that means that even if something happens, we can figure out a way to weasel our way out of actually helping you. Right. So you'll pay this insurance that's twice or three times the amount that a normal person would pay. And, and if something happens, covered. we're still not going to cover you. Right. So if you live in that area, there's a pretty good chance you don't have the money to pay for the insurance in the first place. And then when the disaster happens, how likely are you able to get a loan? Oh, very unlikely. Oh, right. That's right. So you can't get a loan to then help yourself build back up. Oh, no. No, 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 no. 
No, what we're finding is that when when a lot of these these natural disasters happen, the the insurance companies and everybody they just go away. They don't even try to come in and help because it's actually more profitable to to let to to allow these people to lose everything. And then you can then come can, in and buy all the properties up, yep, pennies on the dollar, and build it back up. And more expensive housing, more gentrification, shops, gentrification. Yep. Yeah. And you can and you can get these people out of there. And a lot of the times, it's the people who were redlined into that area in exactly. the first place. If you don't know redlining, look it up. Yep, exactly. So, you know, when we talk about, um, so these, this is why all of this stuff intersects. You cannot talk about climate change without social justice. You cannot talk about, you know, the housing issue without talking about climate change, without talking about education, without talking about racism, Access without talking capital, about all of this. All of those things, yeah. They're all connected, and it's so important to understand the connection to then be able to create the change that we need so that we don't have these fucked up systems. So I wanted to talk about the one of the first natural disasters I wanted to talk about was one that was really close to home. Mm-hmm. This is the wildfires that happened in California. So if you know anything about the last, I want to say two to three years, the wildfire, the fires that happened not only in close to the city of Los Angeles, but just in the state of California was something on a scale that was almost apocalyptic. And we're just we're talking about <laughs> the most recent. Yeah, the most recent. It was on a scale that was almost like you just couldn't believe how many acres burned and how much how how many lives were affected and how Absolutely. much of the state of California was on fire mm-hmm. at one given time or another right. about a couple of years ago. And so I just did uh, uh just a little bit of research on this cuz I just wanted to know it was just, it was unreal. They said something um, that, that it was something like close to 4 million acres had burned the last time those fires happened a couple of years ago. Not only that, that was the most number of acres that burned at one time from between 1900 and, 19, and 2001. So we burned more acres in one year than have burned in 101 years. That's why. Just in the last couple of years when that, when that, I think that was about. And understanding what leads to that is, is the, is the importance here. So, um, that in, it is, it's a very interesting story if you think about what leads to that. Mm -hmm. So I went and found an article that, um, it says, Obviously, the fires disproportionately impact the poor and the oppressed. But when, here, here's this. Here's this. Before California was colonized by the Spanish, Native Americans lived in the regions we now see being burned by wildfires. Although their methods varied, many Native American groups had ways of systematically burning parts of the forest. This both improved growth in the forest Many trees need this burning in the understory in order to grow and kept dry organic matter from building up and exacerbating larger forest fires we see today. Because they were more with nature. I didn't even know. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Before capitalism invaded the area exactly the people who lived on the land knew how to 
regulate the right. land, burn here, burn there, clear this, clear that, but take care of the not land. Not just burn it all down, but... but no, 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 control, controlled. control fire here, right. get rid of this. That's Treat not the, what we see oh, with capitalism. That is so not what, what we see. What I also re uh, um, found out was that ever since then, what's been happening is that, especially in like the last 10 or 15 years, you know, Trump cut, he almost tried to zero out the forest department, mm -hmm. which his job would have been to zero out their budget, which their job would have been to do some of this stuff, some right. of this controlled burn, uh, you know, getting the undergrowth and, and, and taking care of the forest in a way in which if it did catch on fire, it wasn't a raging for it wasn't just right. a raging fire out of control. But then their budgets have been getting cut precipitously over the last ever since Clinton. Their budget has just been slashed and slashed and slashed to the point to now where if you work for them, you don't do anything besides just report when you see a fire. You don't, they don't have the money to go mm -hmm. in. They don't have the resources to go in and take care. Right. And this is not a Republican problem. Democrats have controlled the state of California for almost my entire lifetime, off and on. And they have been cutting the, the California Forest Service budget that would be in charge of taking care of this stuff. So everyone's they're not they're not nobody cares mm -hmm. or is taking the time to really look after the issue now right when the fires are burning we're like oh, okay the fires are burning and people think when the fires are burning in the past you thought oh it's in an area of the forest where no one is but that has not been the case in not the last the uh uh last two major fires that happened in california yeah. have burned entire cities down mm -hmm. you've had to have Thousands of people have 24 hours or so to evacuate an entire city. Yep. And when they come back, that town is gone. Yeah. It is getting to the point now where it's affecting coastal cities. Mm -hmm. And when the fires happened here in Los Angeles, you could drive down the freeway through the 405 and see it and see the fires alongside the freeway. It was yep. like driving through, you know, oh, the apocalypse. <laughs> apocalypse. Like <you> yeah. <laughs> so. It's just, and then the air quality. Right. For those, obviously, we talk about those that are. Yeah, what comes out of all oh of that. Oh, my God. Remember, exactly. Do you remember here in Los Angeles where the air quality was so bad yeah. that they said they made people wear masks? Yeah. And they said, if you have these particular issues, um, uh, lung issues, bronchitis, this, that, and other, stay home. Kids were advised to stay home. The elderly were advised to stay home. And those that had uh, respiratory issues were advised to stay in. Yeah. So. Again, it, it always ends up affecting the people who are the most vulnerable. Right. And so, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, yeah. It says businesses exacerbate these fires. Pacific Gas and Electric has a monopoly over utilities in California and is the cause of these wildfires. The California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection has reported that PG&E's power lines and hardware have started 12 fires in the state. In Mendocino County, trees falling onto power lines started two fires, which burned 36,000 acres. Nine people died. The same happened in Napa County, where 51,000 plus acres were burned and six people died. The fire spread quickly, faster than firefighters can fight them due to wind. All of, the costs, all of this costs a significant amount. Oh, here's the part that really pissed me off. Firefighters are paid. On an average, $56,000 a year firefighters should be paid more. Yeah. 
Um, California has enlisted volunteer, I put this in quotes, volunteer prison labor, included incarcerated yeah. children in order to save money. It has to be acknowledged that while working can earn a prisoner reduced sentences and money in their commissary accounts, the work isn't really voluntary and prisoners can not become firefighters when released. Now that I think was a big issue. We, we talked a story about that. We voted on that. I think we've changed that ever since yeah. this article came out, which there was that story I'm that so, came out of Florida, which is fucking insane that you can literally put your life on the line fighting a fire, know how to be a firefighter. Have the skill for have it. Have the skill set for it. And then can't go out and, and then do can't it. get a job at with it when you get out of prison. Ridiculous. Unreal. Yeah. Why? Why would we do that? Because capitalism says it saves money to have prisoners fight fires and firefighters fight fires. And if you give and this- capitalism also says you, if you went to jail, your humanity is stripped, so. Oh, yes, of course. Let's you just become free that. labor. You become free labor or the cheapest labor, yeah. the slave labor for the state. The rest of your life. If they can, if they right. can, if they can swing it. If, it's, if it were up to them. <laughs> if it was up to them, you'd get out of prison and still be a slave. Exactly. If they could have their way, which getting out of prison is this whole, we should have a whole conversation about oh, we will. what it means to get out of prison and how fucked up it is the when you just system. get out of not going to prison i'm talking about when you get out mm -hmm. the day you're released how the system is set up for you to go right back so why would it be profitable for them to say oh you fought fires for us for three years you can get out of prison and go be a firefighter yeah exactly so the impacts that colonialism and capitalism have upon the issue of fires is profound there are drawbacks to every economic system, but the impacts that capitalism has had for me and my community have been devastating. This is an article out of uh, Mount Malioc News. Um, so, yeah, look up these articles. I mean, this is just it's unreal. Also, what I found out is at the same time that those fires were happening in California, there were fires happening in the Congo. There are fires happening in um, other parts of Africa. We just went through at the beginning of last year, the fires that happened in Australia mm -hmm. and how that burned like hundreds, like almost yeah. half a billion acres, thousands of millions of wildlife died. Yeah. Some hundreds of species went completely it's extinct. Like it's now we're cause capitalism says that it's not profitable to maintain the forests maintain the areas that were burned so when the areas burn they burn everything it's not and you exacerbate climate change on top of that so you have climate change then you have capitalism and it's squeezing right and it's basically these two forces that every single time they happen to start coming up against each other it makes everything worse just a it makes the situation it makes a hurricane a fire i mean you're looking at these fires and i'm just like they can't even do anything at this point besides just let the fire burn. Right. There's no even, I mean, the fires in Australia were ridiculous. But I didn't even know there were fires in the Congo. There are fires in, and there are now fires in South America. There are fires now in places in this world where there wasn't that type of climate. Russian Siberia right. is having those type of fires raging out of control now. Yeah. So it's like, we have to, yeah. Keep our eyes on it, but definitely, and when it comes to the politicians that you vote for, if they are not talking this language, 
they do not need to be in office. Because this does not require somebody's talking wishy-washy language. Oh, maybe we'll do this. Maybe we'll do that. It's like, no, 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 no. We need people in office that are going to fight and make sure the legislation is passed so that we can start to change some of this well, stuff. Well, speaking of wishy-washy, just like the snowstorms in, snowstorms in Texas, they had, they had officials talking about how it was wind and whatever were the issues but really that what are the issues the issues were capitalism mm -hmm. so the snor the snowstorm that just happened in texas the the reason why so many people were devastated so many people had such a negative impact in regards to this snowstorm was because of the way that the power grid was set up in Texas. And the reason that it's set up that way is because it's more profitable. Capitalism. It's not because it's a better way of living. It's oh. not because it's easier, it's cheaper. It's, it's because of capitalism. They could make more money doing it this way. So that's what they decided to do. So when we had the situation happen, people were not able to cut off their uh, water in time and their pipes burst and their houses flooded. They weren't able, you know, they didn't, Texas didn't even have people going out and like clearing the roads. They were, they weren't, they weren't salting the roads. They weren't clearing the roads. None of that. So you have people not even able to get out of their home, to get out and, and get what they need with everything going on. You talked yeah. about before, like, uh, you mentioned the the store's power is going out. You know, you, when your food goes bad, what happens? You know, yeah. same situation same here. Situation. I, I have, I have, like in my research, I came and we're going, let's go straight to Texas. Since we're going there, let's just go right to Texas. We're going to stay there for the rest of our conversation. And we're going to end up in a city called Houston. There is, there, I am convinced and I have a theory about the city of Houston. You take the snowstorm that just happened in Texas and it, it devastated the city of Houston. Then you take Hurricane Harvey, which was a nut, which was, I was gonna talk about hurricanes. Mm -hmm. It devastated the city of Houston. Something about that city and where it is located, although the distance it is from the water, it's going to be the epicenter, in my opinion, of a lot more devastating, um, those intersection. That intersection is the, I think it comes and it, it just, it's like a, it's like a train colliding, two trains colliding. When it, when it gets to, when this stuff gets to Houston, you talk about Texas and you're right, they're using a different electric grid system, which means that it's more profitable. It's all about profit when mm -hmm. it comes to power. So it's more right. profitable for them to not weatherize the system. Mm -hmm. It's more profitable for them to not do anything that makes the infrastructure work in the case of, an, of, a, of an, a weather right. event. They're like, oh, that doesn't really happen to us. So we're not going to really worry about that. But then the city of Houston is getting hit with these dev like hurricanes are happening. And right. we know that the war the waters are getting warmer, which makes hurricanes worse when they finally make land. Okay. Well, it also changes the direction of them. So that that in turn makes them um, more powerful. Yes. And then we see much more devastation when they when hit they us. finally hit land. They 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 drop more rain, right? They flood more, they last for longer. And then it once when you say, Okay, the storm is coming, but the the infrastructure of the city is run 
by greedy capitalists who don't have any interest in keeping the system sound and structurally sound and secure for when this thing comes, then when it comes, it just, it's like- Well, that's why we heard stories of companies literally telling their clients that they should just switch companies to save money because they couldn't turn off the power, they couldn't cut off the water. And it's like, what kind of fucking nonsense is that? How are you going to tell your clients or your customers to switch providers because you can't do anything about it? That is literally crazy. So even if these people, you want to say, oh, they didn't try, they shoulda, shoulda, shoulda. Well, they did. They shoulda, they tried. They tried to do stuff and they were not able to because of the way that this shit was set up, which is really fucking stupid, clearly, because if your company... If you're the company that runs this and you can't fucking help me and I'm supposed to, in the middle of a fucking snowstorm with mm-hmm. my power out, call another company and set up a new, like, set up a new account with them? What kind of fucking, like, what? Yeah. How is that even, how are you even going to be able to do that? It's like, I'm sorry, we're in the middle of a snowstorm. I can't really help you right now. Like, what? Yeah. And but it, when you when everything is a profit motive, right? Then it's like well, at that point they didn't care because they it's like, yeah. well, I can't help you because now your bill is gonna go from you know a hundred dollars to five thousand, so I can't help you. Yeah. But also give me my five thousand dollars. Also give me my money. Yeah. Also. Give me my also five thousand dollars. Yeah. Five thousand yeah, dollars was on the lower end too. Yeah, there were some stories where where people who who in Houston during the, the snowstorm kept their power on, but they were hit with fifteen thousand dollars worth of worth of fun. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I read one where it was like seventeen thousand dollars. And this one guy that was said, their power bill. That was their power bill. That yeah. was their electricity bill. Seventeen thousand dollars. Yes. Yeah. And this guy, one of these guys, he was said, I was fortunate enough to have my power on during the entire snowstorm, but now the fees have broken me because he had to empty out his entire savings account to pay his, his electricity bills. That's crazy. So um, they said here about the city of Houston, said for decades, the city has allowed developers and real estate speculators to carry out uncontrolled expansion, replacing wetlands and prairie lands, which absorb water with paved surfaces, increasing the flood risk to the city. Right. National, state, and local politicians have ignored the repeating warnings of scientists and experts that they were courting disaster. Hurricane protection infrastructure has been neglected. After Hurricane Ike, experts proposed the construction of seawalls along the coast and the erection of a floodgate around the Houston Ship Channel. I'm still talking about Texas. This project has yet to materialize. It costs an estimated $6 billion to $8 billion, a small fraction of the revenue the U.S. oil industry, of the U.S. oil industry in a single year. So it is not, in their estimation, profitable enough to protect the city of Houston from a major flood. But also it's because the... the... If you know anything about marshlands and wetlands, these are the very last places you should be trying to build infrastructure on. The foundation is not solid and it's, it is literally shifting mud underneath the house or the sidewalk or the homes right. or the home development that you put there. If water comes through, it 
it's soaked into that area. You are literally setting these people up to live in an area that will get flooded if a powerful enough storm comes through. Mm -hmm. And the city of Houston does not, the people who run this city and the developers and the wealthy capitalists don't seem to give a shit about doing it the right way. So they're basically setting well, that's the city because up the for right flooding. Way, the right way um, might cost some is, money. No, it's not even about that. It's like the if all these big oil companies, the right way is to stop doing is to stop using yes. fossil fuels and to go to more like uh, you know more of these natural ways that are gonna cause less damage and ultimately cost less for us, but it's not as profitable for them. So that's why. Yeah. It's really, again, it all comes down to money. Like these companies, you're right, these companies don't care because that way, yeah, they would still be making money, but they wouldn't be making as much money as they are oh, right now. Oh, yeah, I mean, They'd still me. be fucking wealthy rich, oh but they're God. not really, 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 really fucking <laughs> well, wealthy I mean, rich, now you know? Now you add all those reallys to it. <laughs> it's just one ridiculous. Thing to be really rich, but... Really, really, really. <laughs> but now you gotta be really, really, really rich. It's just ridiculous. Well, now, shit, fuck everybody then. Let, let them all drown. Right. <laughs> Let them all get washed away. I need to be really, really, really rich. For no reason. For no reason other than human life is not, it's not important to me at all. Right. So, you know, you know, the 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 the, the snowstorm that happened in Texas is it was, you know, obviously made worse by the fact that the people who run the city and the the uh capitalists still... don't that own them didn't care. But when you look at a city like Houston, and you look at the fact that like where you did you know that the city of Houston is only there because the city of Galveston was flooded in 1900. So Galveston is southern and closer to the water. Houston is about a little bit northeast, a little slightly northeast of Galveston. The only reason why Houston exists is because people left Galveston when it flooded. <laughs> and Houston is not that much better right. when it comes to being able to absorb these ma massive large storms. So you send a snowstorm through there and it tears the whole city up. Now, when hurricane season starts, which it will start sometime towards the end of August, beginning of September, you're, the city is a sitting duck. Mm -hmm. And when you have, like I said, when you have people who need to make money and need to make money at the expense of the people, you're, you're setting the city up for failure. And so let's talk about hurricanes. Yeah, I mean, the one big instance was Hurricane Katrina. Absolutely. Do you know before we get into the, the do you know that like I did some research on Hurricane Katrina? Do you know that the the governor of Mississippi was uh, bragging and touting how they had built riverboat casinos and hotel structures before after they were given the money to rebuild the infrastructure of the city surrounding this riverboat casino. So they put a lot of city resources and money into building a riverboat casino with a hotel, all the structure. Instead of but rebuilding. Then this is years after they never took any of the 
different set of funds, not this money, but the different set of FEMA funds that were supposed to be to rebuild the actual city that support, that would support this hotel. Wow. It's just, it was just like, I couldn't, I was just like, wow. The governor's like, come to our Riverboat Casino and da 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 And it's like, the city is still... Like, we're drowning. I don't think we can make it. <laughs> the city is, three years later, is still... This was, it happened in 2005. So you're talking about like 2008. The city is still like, devastated. Right. Certain parts of the power haven't even been fixed. The infrastructure hasn't been fixed completely. Right. But the Riverboat Casino is shiny We're and good. new and We're going. bright and come and on and in. And the lights are <laughs> and, and people are like, "What the fuck? We don't even have running water right. in some parts of the city." You know, but put it. You got to put the casino up so you can make a profit. Right. And then how much is the are the people who work at that casino going to be paid in a state like Mississippi that borders on Louisiana, both right to work states? Not very much. That's a different topic. That's a tangent. Didn't want to go off on that. But I'm just saying, you know, it's yeah. it is. <clears throat> and this comes from. Um, uh uh, you have to go read uh, um, an author. Her name is Naomi Klein. She wrote a book called The Shock Doctrine, which I read. Um, really amazing book. She, she wrote another, but I can't think of the name of it. Um, and then she she writes she she has a blog called The, the Rise of Disaster Capitalism. Mm. So that's another way to look at everything that's happening. Yeah. It's called disaster capitalism. Really. Um, it says a massive effort. This was in, excuse me, 2009, and not much has gotten better since then. But it says a massive effort to fix public works destroyed more than three works destroyed more than three years ago by the Gulf Stream Gulf Coast hurricanes remains largely stalled, leaving more than 3.9 billion in federal aid unspent and key repairs far from complete. Nearly three and a half years after those storms hit, new FEMA accounting reports show two-thirds of the money to pay for permanent rebuilding work still has not been spent. The latest bottleneck in a recovery long beset by criticism that it has been too slow and inefficient. Stop right there. This is the story. When, she saw, when, when you say disaster capitalism, you can always look at a natural disaster, ping it, and come back to it. Put it on a pin it, and say, okay, the thing, whatever the thing was, it mm -hmm. happened, right? Right. Let's get some distance bias from it. Let's get some time away from it or time away from the event. Almost to a T, you find that event happens, devastation happens, the call for aid rushes in, years later, accounting shows aid wasn't spent properly, aid was mismanaged, right. money simply wasn't spent, the areas that were supposed to be rebuilt didn't get rebuilt. Certain Other, areas didn't get any funds. Certain areas didn't get, yeah. We just, my highlight of the week was about, last week was about uh, um, CARES Act, COVID stimulus money mm -hmm. that was supposed to go to the city of Chicago, went to the police right. of Chicago. Perfect example. And it was supposed to go to the departments to help with this pandemic. 
and it ended up going to the police. Right. So stuff like that happens all the time. All the time. And Katrina was a, a big one because you look at the areas that immediately bounce back and then you look at the areas that oh, were forgotten. Man. Yeah. That's the key word. Mm-hmm. We can say that again. Forgotten. Forgotten. Just simply nobody cares about those areas mm-hmm. of the city anymore. Some of those areas still have the remnants of yep. the hurricane there. Mm-hmm. Still buildings are destroyed. Never got rebuilt. Never got taken care of. Infrastructure is still a mess. And so this report was coming like three to four years after the storm. But I wanted to put this in here because I wanted people to be able to know that whenever something happens, put a pin in it and see how, because, because the media will take your, your attention away from it. They'll be like, oh, event happened. Move on, move on, move on, move on. They're going to put aid in there. Billions of dollars are going to flood in X, Y, and Z. And then everybody goes, oh, okay. The money's going to be there. Everything's fine. Then you come back three years later, four years later, they do a report and realize, yeah, none of the money was spent the way it was supposed to. It was mismanaged. It was stolen. It was diverted to pet projects. It was diverted to make certain people rich. Everybody else just stayed poor or got even, you know, if you could get even poor. So, right. Um, yeah, that's a, that, that, Again, we can keep, we can go for another hour on this topic. But I, I just wanted to say as we close this out, be aware of how capitalism is affecting certain parts of our society. Well, it's like noticing when the two intersect and, and, and noticing who, who all is impacted the most, you know. And as we've, I mean, do your own research, but the research is pretty clear. People of color, especially black, Latino, and indigenous people and low-income families are hit harder by climate change and recover more slowly from climate disasters than the general population. Mm -hmm. Um, White communities and families are also hurt by climate change and their pain is very real. We're not saying that it's not. But if you're a person of color, you're more likely, because of the structural racism and all that we've talked about today, um, you're more likely to be harmed physically, to lose property, and to be dislocated economically when the climate change hits. Mm -hmm. And our story in Flint, Michigan is one of the most saddest stories about all of this, you know. And that's less about... I mean, we can talk about it if you want. Yeah, let's talk that's, about uh, it. That's, that's less about a, a natural disaster and more about the intersection of like inter, inter, environmental um, racism and environmental issues. Um, you know, this was an area that the residents, you know, noticed, started to notice a change in within their water supply. It was back in... 2014 and then you have this city of nearly 100,000 people but the city waited the state waited over a year to actually address the issue Um, and when you look at the numbers in that area black Americans make up only 14% of Michigan however in the most heavily polluted areas 
were made up of 84% black people. And so that's where this starts to become to become an issue. Mm-hmm. And then the inaction, the slow uh, walking of any aid, the politi- political po- politicization of it, um, shifting of blame while these people just suffered. Yeah. And Obama, Obama administration did nothing. A Trump didn't, I don't even think Trump even acknowledged <laughs> that there was a problem. And what we found out through some reporting through a lot of other media outlets was that the poisoning of the water was, if it wasn't intentional, it was allowed to continue um, so that it can move those air, those residents, those people, that 84% black number out of those areas. Well, again, it comes down to the, it comes down to the money. It's easier to go back and fix the issue than to fix the issue immediately because they're making money off of whatever the fuck's going on. Mm-hmm. They're making money off of that. So if it's causing an issue, let's just ignore it for a little bit until we have to deal with the consequences of it. Or like you said, you want to go into what you what we were talking about before or it's it's very much on purpose. It, it, it It's neglect. Neglect. It could be. But then there's a little bit of nefariousness when you look at this issue because you're like, some of the reporting that I saw um, was showing that that you know you they would drive down the street and they would they would go interview these people in these homes and you would they would tell you yeah that person across the street passed away six months ago the lady over here two houses down has a terminal illness and she's probably going to be dead in the next six months my uncle has a terminal illness and I'm starting to have respiratory and breathing issues so basically it seems that what what was happening is that through nefarious through intentional nefarious neglect they're allowing for these areas to just get wiped out where the people just die if they don't sell then they just die and then if there's no one to take the home they buy it up and then they go in and do what they want to do fix the pipes fix the problems regentrify the neighborhood but but fixing up the neighborhood with these people and it's not something that they want to do. It's interesting how redlining, how, how redlining was, was how they tried to push the undesirable black and brown people over here. But then when it comes back around, those are the areas that they are predators, predators of the most. Those are the areas that now are the up and coming neighborhoods that we want to get these black people out of. Well, that's where you put us. That's where you put us. Yeah. You would only allow my granddad or my dad to my mom to buy a house in South Central L.A. Right. My mom wanted to live somewhere else, but that was the only place the bank would give her a loan to live. Right. Was in South Central Los Angeles, one of the worst parts to live in America. Now you want to tell me you don't want me to live there because it's up and coming. So now you want to get me to fuck up out of there. It's like, make up your mind. This is where you put these people. The banks would only give you $100,000 for a loan. So you can only live over there. And we're going to give you the highest interest rate on the loan humanly possible. So you will never pay that house off. So when you die, the house goes right back to the state because you will never be able to pay that house off. 
And this is what we mean by trickle down. It all is so connected. So it then when a storm happens down. and the water pipes break or a, a hurricane happens or a snowstorm happens or a fire comes through, you are literally a sitting duck in that neighborhood because they have not cared about you for decades. Mm -hmm. And they've set a situation up in which they're setting you up for failure. Yeah. And then they go back in and buy your home at pennies on the dollar. And then it's an emerging neighborhood. And then it's okay for white people to come live here again. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's frustrating to, to look at it and to think about, you know, how they set these neighborhoods up and how when something happens, that's the area that gets hurt the most. Yeah. We're going to keep talking about this. Um, there's been a lot of developments on the Flint water issue. We haven't even begun to talk about the mismanagement in the government, the investigations. I believe the governor was charged with a misdemeanor recently for his involvement in hiding the, the problem and the crisis. And I, at this point, I'm, honestly, I don't even know if they've even fixed it yet. I think they're just mm -hmm. waiting for all those people to die, which is an American scandal. That is the biggest thing I've ever, I mean, why that is not on the front page of every newspaper in America every day, I don't know. Yeah. How you can just let an entire American city go. Yeah. Just let it go. We just pull the totally plug Totally forgotten city. Yeah. A whole city, not even a section of a city. Right. The whole entire city. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah we'll, definitely we'll, continue <laughs> to, uh, you know, we're we'll coming continue back to around talk to this. about <laughs> all of these topics because they do intersect so much. And there's, like you said at the beginning, Wilson, there's so many different angles to to view all of these issues because they intersect so much. So, yeah, these are all stories that we want to continue to to keep an eye on, but we definitely wanted to highlight um, that connection. Mm -hmm. So, so again, we will come back to this. We're not done with this topic. <laughs> we'll swing back around to this in a few months. Just stay tuned. Um, moving into our next section this is our say their names section this is where we tell the stories of people who have been negatively affected by police violence my uh say their name for this week is rakia boyd um rakia boyd was a 22 year old black american woman who was fatally shot in chicago illinois by Dante Servin, an off-duty Chicago police detective, on March 21st, 2012. So, this is just, this is a, a story is so infuriating. Servin, an off-duty police officer, drove his car to Douglas Park on the west side of Chicago after calling the police to make a noise complaint. He then approached a group of four individuals who had been partying in the park and had some form of verbal altercation with them. Reports are unclear as to whether Servin was calm and polite or rude and aggressive. One of the victims, Antonio Cross, accused Servin of attempting to buy drugs from the group, to which Cross allegedly told Servin to get his crackhead ass out of there. Servin fired on the group, hitting Rakia Boyd in the head, 
and Antonio Cross in the hand. Initially, the Chicago Police Department claimed that Servant had discharged his weapon after Cross had approached him with a gun. The Boyd family quickly responded that the object was, in fact, a cell phone. No weapon was ever recovered from the scene. Wow. So this is a police officer who isn't even working. He approaches some people in the park, says that he was complaining about a noise complaint, gets into a verbal argument, pulls out his gun, and kills somebody. November 23rd, November 2013, Servant was charged with involuntary manslaughter, but he was cleared of all charges on April 20th, 2015, by a judge. The uh, people, the prosecutors in Chicago, um, under, they overcharged him. So that's the reason why he was uh, let go. He could not be charged with reckless, recklessness since he fired his gun intentionally. The, the, uh, the attorney, state prosecutor, deliberately undercharged him knowing that charges would be dropped wow. in, order, in order to curry favor with the police department. So if they charge you with first degree murder, but they know they should have charged you with reckless endangerment or manslaughter, or if they do the reverse, charge you with manslaughter when they should have charged you with first degree murder, then it's a, it's a, it's a parlor trick to like say, oh, we charged them. That's the reason why when you look at a lot of these cases that are happening, what they charge the people with is very important because they could be telling you, oh, we're overcharging him because the burden of proof is so high that the chances of him getting convicted of that crime are, that's what they did with Trayvon Martin. They overcharged the guy who killed him. Yeah. And then they were like, well, they didn't meet that burden, so he's not guilty. When they should have just charged him with manslaughter right. or reckless endangerment or, or uh um, neglect, homicide, something like that. But charging them with first degree murder right. is a very high bar to have to prove. Such bullshit. So they do these things. Yeah, the they do these loopholes in order to make sure that they escape accountability in a real way. And it's the veneer, it's the look of accountability. Oh, we charged them with first degree murder. Yeah, but that's not a first degree murder charge. That's more like, you know, uh, Reckless endangerment, homicide, manslaughter. That's what you should have charged him with. No, no, no. We charged him with this. You know, so there were protests. Um, and this happened around the same time as, well, it happened before Michael Brown, Eric Garner, and Freddie Gray. But this is what galvanized, one of the events that galvanized the Black Lives Matter movement. So... Um, Servin, who was the police officer, uh, the city paid four and a half million dollars to Boyd's family and Servin resigned on May 17th, 2016, two days before the department hearing, which was to decide whether he should be fired. So the mayor at the time was Rahm Emanuel and he had uh, uh, suggested that Dante Servin be fired. So he, uh, he, he resigned before he got fired. So that's, that is the story. Again, her name is Rakia Boyd. Rakia and we say Boyd. her name and we tell her story. Um, so say her name, Rakia, Rakia Boyd. Boyd. 
And so, Megan, who is your... Um, so say their name for this My week. story doesn't involve police, but it is a recent story this month um, that came out in regards to... I just felt it was a very extremely sad story and it's more in regards to this awful mindset of white supremacy and just superiority um this was a story that unfortunately i have two names to say um Mm -hmm. joshua cole cooper and anderson andy reddick um they were both 19 years old. They were at a gas station with their friend Jalen Rice, who was 20. They, uh, a man had come into the store or into the into the you know gas station, and I guess said some words to them. They went to their car. The man went to his car, grabbed his gun. He went to the to the boys shot them each they tried to drive away injured he got into his car went after them and shot them more um joshua and and andy ended up passing away and i've found in the last i believe day or so that jalen rice is so thankfully recovering after many surgeries um, this happened over the weekend, right? This happened about a weekend ago. Two, this was like a week ago. A week ago, yes. Yeah. Um, 31-year-old Joseph Bassard. Uh, again, this this was in cold blood. Yeah. He went up to them. It wasn't a fight. It's not like there was a huge altercation. And even if there is, there's no reason to kill people. Um, but this was just straight hate, just straight hatred. You have a a small, you, you get frustrated at these 19 year olds. These two boys were 19. This other boy was 20. You're a 31 year old man. You have some words to say about these boys in the gas station and you decide to go and get your gun and shoot them. And not only that. As they're driving down the fucking road, you get in your car and you chase them down and make sure that you shoot them dead. Luckily, Jalen came out of that. Yeah. But now he has to come out of it with his two best friends dead. So this is an extremely sad story obviously it just happened so it's one that we're going to continue to to keep an eye on and see what happens what, with with yeah. uh joseph bassard what more details um, come through and, yeah, yeah so we're going to keep an eye on that in the show notes we also have a gofundme for the family um the families of anderson reddick and jalen rice and uh you know uh, i think i believe andy reddick was had just become a father and so his family had relied heavily on him. So if you're able to contribute to their family, um, again, we'll put the we'll put the GoFund GoFundMe in the show notes. So so 
So uh, and I saw check that, that uh, well. through Sean King's organization, Grassroots Law, they raised enough money to pay for both Joshua Cooper and Anderson Reddick's funeral. their funerals. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's that for whatever that is worth. No family should have to try to beg for money to bury their kids at a time like this. So it's good that they were able to take care of that. But yeah, we we have work to do as a community. Yeah. You know, this hurts my heart because we really want to protect our kids and our young ones. And eighteen, I mean, nineteen and twenty is mm -hmm. literally the beginning at the be very beginning of your life, really. Absolutely. <laughs> as an adult in America, and you are so new to everything. You don't really mm -hmm. know much. I think about me at 19 and what I know now, it's, it's I mean, shit. Worlds of difference. <laughs> Worlds of difference of just awareness, education, knowledge. Yeah. And so, yeah. It's um, really, I, it's I a really wish Jalen Rice, a, a, you know, a speedy recovery and some counseling and love. People need to, people need to surround him. Absolutely. And, uh, and basically, you know, love on him because. Continue to lift him up. His survivor's guilt is real. Yeah. You know, um, and yeah. And we just have to take care of each other because, you know, there are people out there, they have motives that we don't understand. And yeah. there's some very hateful people out there. And so, you know, yeah. Say this is an names. unfortunate story. So we say their names, Joshua, Joshua Cole, Cole Keith, Cooper, Cooper, and Andy Anders, Reddick. Andy Reddick. And then we also and say her name, Rikia Boyd. Rikia Boyd. <clears throat> Beautiful. And so moving into our activist highlight, this is where we talk about stories, about people who are doing, our organizations that are doing really good things in their community. I had a different activist highlight, but once I came across the story, I had to change it because this one is... Uh, this one's a really good one. And I hope this works. <laughs> so read the Retail Wholesale Department Store Union, the RWDS, is attempting to unionize the Amazon plant in Bessemer, Alabama. Now you want to talk about Tiny David going up against two Goliaths? This is that story. This, first off, the state of Alabama is incredibly anti-union and not friendly at all to people being in the union. So you have the state of Alabama trying to work against this and then Amazon. Which is definitely not for Amazon it. is a behemoth <laughs> that just always tries to crush. They, uh, can, they can word it as pretty and nice and package it up as well as they want to package it and say that they're not against unions but you know that we that we should be that we should be able to work together with our employees oh, without Christ. da 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 it's like that's <laughs> just a pretty package for you don't want people to unionize yeah. I tell you right now I am I just got the fortune of being able to join one of the most powerful unions in America the Teamsters Union and I'm going to tell you this right now I would much rather be on this side than on the other side. The amount of protections, the amount of, of permanent wage increases, the uh, the way that they fight for you, the things that you that they are not allowed to do, the things the the ways in which they are uh, um, supposed to treat you, it is definitely much more beneficial to be in a union than it is to not be in a union even if it's just for the simple fact and all these let's just let's keep it let's just be real about it the only reason why these people are organizing for a union is because they're seeing how much money amazon is making and then they're seeing that it doesn't equate to even just better working conditions right 
It's not like, oh, we should get a raise. That was made very evident when COVID happened, when they weren't properly taking care of their warehouses when there was outbreaks they still weren't taking care of them Mm -hmm. they didn't have proper ppe they they barely were getting minimum wage uh you know wages during this this time oh thank you amazon workers you guys are working so hard to deliver all these packages because everybody needs to stay home oh my god our heroes our heroes our heroes bitch where's my money (laughs) I'm a hero, but yet I'm not even getting minimum wage. Yeah, or, I'm not getting a living a living, a living wage. wage. No, not even that. You're the hero. Here's your pat on the back, but we're not going to pay you more. Listen to this. And we're real, not going to take care of you. Listen to this real quick. Uh, the second Jennifer Bates walks away from her post at the Amazon warehouse where she works, the clock starts ticking. She has precisely 30 minutes to get to the cafeteria and back for her lunch break. Oh, I have a friend. My friend works at Amazon as a security guard. He cannot leave his post. He had for straight like two months, he would call them and be like, yo, I got to go to the bathroom. 30 minutes later, he's like, is anybody coming? Like, I literally have to go to the bathroom. He would, he, there were times where he would pee in the corner and he'd have to wait for someone to come so then he could clean that up because he, he was so scared that if he left, he would lose his job. And one time, another time, he waited over an hour and until he started literally yelling and cussing them out and they were like, well, why are you upset? He's like, bro, I've been waiting an hour and I have to go to the bathroom. He recently got fired. My friend recently got fired because he waited over an hour and he left. He was sick of it. He was like, I'm going to literally, excuse my French, shit myself. I'm not going to wait here. I'm not going to poop in the corner. I'm not going to pee in the corner. This is absolutely absurd. And it is. Why would you have your workers? For that. They fired him. Yes, they fired him for that. He, He lost his job for that. Because they, because he waited over an hour to use the restroom. And what is their reasoning? It's not like they were busy or whatever. It's just bullshit management. Listen, listen. So she has precisely 30 minutes to get to her cafeteria and back for her lunch break. That means traversing a warehouse the size of 14 football fields. Which eats, which eats up precious time. She exactly. Avoids, she avoids bringing food from home because warming it up in the microwave would cost her even more minutes. Instead, she opts for $4 cold sandwiches from the vending machine and hurries back to her post. If, she's make it, if she makes it, she's lucky. If she doesn't, Amazon could cut her pay or worse, fire her. And that's what just happened to like my friend. what happened to your friend. And it's like that type of shit is just not acceptable. That's not acceptable. Yeah, not when you're making billions of dollars. Well, just having all these jobs where people can't even go to use the restroom, you have to have a system. I'm sorry, you have to, period. That's ridiculous. I worked at a Target warehouse for a while, and they they, they they had a thing where you could not be caught strolling. You had to be walking with a purpose everywhere you went. And if you were, then someone above you, they were always somebody above you. There were like five to 10 people above you would be like, hey, you have to walk. You can't, you can't stroll. You go into the restroom, fine, but walk it out, get there and get back. Mm -hmm. And all I was doing was, I was in a fulfillment center. 
one of the worst jobs I ever had. But yeah, it was. Yeah, and this they was work target. you like they, they, just don't, they don't care about you yeah. as a person. Your humanity is stripped. You're a worker. You're a robot to them. You need to be. You need to be working at all times. If if you need to use the bathroom, make sure it takes ten seconds, and that's it. Like you you want to eat five minutes. That's all you got. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that's ridiculous. The fact that that's you ridiculous. Get Thirty minutes to eat, and you don't even you can't even have an opportunity. Your lunch to hour often is only thirty minutes. And that's not enough time to do anything. No, they don't give them an hour. They give them two thirty. I know. I said your lunch hour. (laughs) Most companies don't give you an hour. Most places won't give you an hour nowadays. I've for a lot of people that I that I talk to with their jobs, they don't have an hour for lunch. That's like that'd be a luxury. Yeah. To have a whole hour all together. And then you think about like think about us in the city. It's like. You're not getting anywhere in 30 minutes and eating your food. You're barely even getting to the food place to get the food in 30 minutes, let alone to sit down and be able to eat it. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So it says the stakes are high. If organizers succeed in Bessemer, it could set off a chain of it could set off a chain reaction across Amazon operations nationwide, with thousand more workers rising up and demanding demanding better working conditions. They face an uphill battle against the second largest employer in the country with the history of crushing unionizing efforts at its warehouses and its Whole Foods grocery stores. So if Amazon is the second employer, you know who the first is? Walmart. Yeah. Which is even worse yeah. to their employees when it comes to attendance. They've just been around longer. Oh, they, yeah. They just. I'm pretty sure at some point Amazon might become the biggest employer in the world in the world on this planet and other planets. If we colonize Mars, they might be the biggest employer there too. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so they're working, this this union is the RWDSU, and what they're trying to do is unionize this plant in Bessemer, Bessemer, Alabama. This is the this is this this plant has I think it has about six thousand people that work there, and um, so they they're trying to get fifty one percent fifty plus one percent of the people to vote to unionize. If they do, man, and you know what they're doing? They're having daily education classes that are mandatory for all Amazon employees at this one factory. Daily quote unquote education classes basically is to just give you your information to let you know what a union would do and we just want our people to have all the facts that's all like you said we just want to work with you (laughs) to make sure that we all grow together bullshit these classes are basically (coughs) to it's always like putting a band-aid on it it's like it's like when, and, and I, I'm a yoga instructor, but I will say this, when companies, they're not going to, you know, provide you with health insurance. They're going to bring in a yoga, a yoga instructor and allow you to have a yoga class. But then they're also not going to provide you with the time to actually take that yoga oh, class. We don't time for that. So it's all a facade. Not to say that like yoga classes at your studio or whatever at your workplace are bad. That's great, but that should not be the only thing that your company is giving you. Yeah. If they're providing you with a, a yoga class, a meditation, or some sort of activity like that, that's great. But you should also be providing me with insurance. 
So you should also be providing me with, you know, like there's other things that you should be providing me with. That basically just keeps me from dying. You should at least be trying trying to get me insurance that I can can live under. That's the whole point. Um, So, or maybe Medicare for all. And then we don't have to tie your job to your insurance. Maybe if... Just an idea. Just an idea. Yeah. Maybe if you decided you didn't want to work at this job anymore because it was soul sucking and <laughs> and life crushing, then you could be like, "Oh, I have Medicare for all. I can quit this piece of shit job." Well, and less go than do less, what I want. less important about that. What about the people that like they've had? I just I I went grocery shopping yesterday, and my Uber driver was this older gentleman, and he was talk. We were talking, and he mentioned how. He had a great job for 15 years, making over $150,000 a year. And because of COVID, his job just has shut down. His, his place of work has shut down. So he's driving Uber. And he was, um, when we were talking, I could tell he was very, like, obviously frustrated about that, very hurt by that, and a little bit embarrassed to be driving for Uber. Mm -hmm. And it was really sad to see because it's like in situations like this, it's, you know, your health insurance is tied to your job. You have this great job. You have, he was saying how he has this PhD in mathematics. He has like, he has the education, the background, the experience. He's worked with this company for over 15 years. He's had jobs where, you know, he it provided the insurance and all of that other things, but that can literally be gone in a fucking instance. So, when you when you have this natural phenomenon like, I don't know, the global pandemic that mm-hmm. happens and you lose your job, which you had your insurance tied to and all this other stuff, now where does that leave you? And then you take that one uh, instance and you multiply it by a few million people. Right. And now you have a situation in which it's devastating. But that's like me off on a tangent. It, unions the- <laughs> are unions are great because here we are. It's basically our our way as people to combat capitalism. It's pretty <laughs> much one of the few surefire ways you have to say these are the wages. This is what's going to happen. And this is how you're going to treat our empl- our workers, your workers. You're going to yeah. treat them these ways and give them these rights and these protections. And so I, we're going to keep an eye on this story. And definitely, you know, I hope that when they have the vote, they do vote to unionize because that will help so many other workers on so many other companies and industries if they're able to do this. So we'll keep an eye on this story. Um, Megan, what is your highlight or your activists for the week yes so i actually came across this page in our research for this week's topic um my highlight activist highlight this week is jocelyn longden the founder of climate and color um this is she is a 22 year old phd student um and she's built an online education platform Um, at the intersection of climate and social justice with the aim of making climate conversation more diverse, accessible, and informative. 22 Um, years old? 22 years old, right? When I I saw her page, came across her page, and came across a lot of her teachings, it just, like, honestly gives me so much hope. It's so beautiful. It's also, um, I could go off on a tangent and saying how, like, 
kind of sad it is that we have to have people this is their this is what their life has come to is fighting for justice but it's also so beautiful to see because mm -hmm. this is how we create change for the next generation so that they don't have to have their their dharma their purpose in life doesn't have to be that it can actually be something that's you know for them mm -hmm. <laughs> but um exactly. it's so beautiful to see this this 22 year old creating so much change she has so many amazing resources on her instagram um she and i actually just purchased this um she has uh the colonial history of climate an online course um it's i think it was like 15 dollars. she should totally up her price but um <laughs> it's you should definitely check it out you guys um, but she also has so many other resources. She really digs into the climate issue and the intersection of climate issue and social justice and is just an amazing educator. Like I said, she's 22 years old. She's just, I, I, can, I can tell she's just going to continue to just yeah. grow and kill it. I mean, she... She's just so a wealth of knowledge at her and to age. To be twenty-two, and that aware, and that you know, caring. Yes, on and it. To be on it, and to then create, uh, you know, a way for people her age to have these conversations in a much more, you know, accessible yeah. way. I think is is it's amazing. absolutely amazing. It's amazing. So check it, check her out. It's Climate in Color, um, Climate in Color, C O L O U R. Um. Follow her, share her stuff, go purchase her course, um, check her out. This we'll, is really, we'll ask really her to cool up one. because yeah, she needs to up her prices. If you're listening, girl, up your prices. <laughs> because if you got that much, if you have this much wealth of information, oh my gosh, amazing. Yeah. And so um, that's an amazing. That's a you know. Hopefully, you know. The thing is, the 22 year old does it so that when she gets 42, there's not another 22 year old that has to do this type yeah. of work. They can actually think and dream a little bit bigger because we've made a planet that's much more safer and much right. more attuned and attentive to the needs of yeah. the humans that live on it. Yeah. You know, maybe just that. Just an idea. Just an idea. Uh, so moving into our uh, call to actions, follow yeah. and support our activists. Um, also, do your research on our topic. We left out a lot. There's much more that we could have talked about, much more things we could have learned. Definitely visit the GoFundMe for the families of Anderson Reddick and Jalen Rice. That will be in the show notes. The link will be in the show notes. Yes. Like, share, follow, and subscribe to us on your favorite platforms to hear podcasts. We are everywhere. Yeah. Reach out to us for advertising and sponsorship. We would love it. If you want to advertise with us, we we'll drop your ad in. definitely want to work in. with you guys. Yes. So please in reach out. Please reach out. If you feel so inclined to donate, we have a cash app, money sign, unlearn, relearn, pod. That is our cash app. Taking all donations so that we can keep building and keep growing. 2021 is the year of growth. I don't know if you knew that or not. You got you, you two months in, time for you to start growing, time for you to start taking major steps towards making your dreams a reality. That's one of the things that we're gonna do this year with this, with this particular project, this podcast, which started with just us having conversations, then it, grow, it grew to us being on platforms, 
Now we're growing into actual YouTube content. Mm -hmm. Definitely t check us out on YouTube, Unlearn, subscribe. Relearn. Subscri subscribe. And then take care of yourselves and each other. Always, Be kind always, to yourself. Always. And as always. And as always. This was an amazing episode. We, we took it a little long because it needed to be, but thank you so much for hanging out with us as we unlearn the BS and relearn the good stuff. All right, guys, we will see you next week. Happy Black History Month. Let's make it a Black History year. We will talk to you soon. Take care of yourself.